Welcome to the Excellent Exo Chat with Bill and Nora. Our podcast is meant to educate, inform, and discuss the ever-expanding topic of exotechnologies. If you are interested in exoskeletons, robots, or automated systems, you should listen to us. We will be discussing how these technologies impact you through chats with experts and users from around the world. Hey, Nora, how you doing? Hey, Bill, I'm good. How are you doing today? Doing well. I see we have a guest with us. Of course, nobody else can see, but I can see that we have a guest with us. <laughs> Who's our guest? That's okay. No problem. So today we are being joined by Aaron Prather, who is our Director for Robotics and Autonomous Systems Programs within our Global Advanced Manufacturing Programs with ASTM International. So, hey, Aaron, how are you? Hey, guys. How's it going today? It's doing well. How how are things? You're you're in the, on the East Coast in Tennessee, right? I'm I'm in Tennessee, but I'm on the other side of the state. <laughs> oh, uh, and, and I'm actually based in Memphis, so I am on the Central Time Zones part of the state. And Nora and I have had this 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 discussion before. Is Tennessee is a big state? A lot of folks don't realize that. And actually, fun fact for the audience: Knoxville which is on the eastern side of the state, is actually closer to the Canadian border than it is to Memphis on the other side of the state. Wow. So that gives you some context of how long the state of Tennessee is. Wow. That's crazy. And they have yeah. they have robots in Tennessee? Oh, yes. Actually, <laughs> and autonomous <ten> systems? <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> well, that's actually, great. <laughs> actually, in Middle Tennessee, uh, the car industry is, is very healthy. And actually, Tennessee is one of the top five states now for robotics in the United States. Wow, that's exciting. So is Tennessee sort of like a robotics hub now? Is it is it kind of growing? Where Where is it? It, it, it is growing. It is definitely because, again, it's such a long state. We actually have three different regions. And Middle Tennessee is very healthy with robotics and other autonomous systems, thanks to the movement of the automotive industry into the area. On the eastern side of the state around Knoxville, you actually have a lot of uh, manufacturing and uh, scientific work going around Oak Ridge Laboratories. Yeah. The University of Tennessee in Knoxville is doing a lot of interesting work in the, in the space. And then when you come over to my side of the state, which is the pretty much the logistics side of the mm. state, home of FedEx and other large logistics operations, you actually start, are starting to see more robots not only picking and placing packages, but moving packages. Actually, some of the oh, largest wow. mobile robot deployments in the world are here in my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. So wow. that's one of the reasons why I, I've sort of stayed put here in Memphis is actually there's so many robots around me here. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I can do my work for ASTM and <laughs> actually go and work with a robot still just down the road. Actually, I think this will be an interesting thing for our discussion today about ag is I am actually in walking distance of a agricultural robot testing site. No way. That's Are cool. you joking? That's really cool. Is it like a uh, USDA site or something like that? No, it's actually, uh, there's a organization called Ag Launch uh, that is based here in Memphis, but they are a, a national uh, group that works with ag startups, and a lot of those are robotics. Wow. And one of their testing sites that the, the startups get to use, I can walk to from my house That's and amazing. actually see robots out in the field. 
That's so is, really, so really is cool. So it mainly like ground robots or is it flying ones or is it both? Is it, what, what do they look like? It, it is both, Bill. It, yeah. it is super interesting of you can have some ground robots running around and then you can look up and see the drones flying and doing measurements and all those cool things. So it's a lot of folks don't fully understand what is down here in the middle of the country sometimes. Yeah. Um, but between logistics and ag and now manufacturing, there is a lot of things happening in this part of the country. And I'm just sort of planted in the middle of it. And I get to do all my, all my great work with you, you and uh, Nora at ASTM, but I also get to still connected to my work to say the least yeah yeah that's oh my gosh you you go out for a walk like normal people except you're still working (laughs) (laughs) and drones and everything when you're going for your walk so how did you get into this area aaron like what what's your background and what pulled you into the robotics and autonomous systems area great question um for before joining astm i had worked with for fedex uh i almost Logged 27 years with them. Wow. Started with them as a wow. as a college student. That's amazing. And uh, I started just working the weekend shift, offloading trucks, uh, letting them pay for my tuition, <laughs> uh, and, and and getting some good spending money. And then I just sort of stuck around after graduation and worked my way up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I worked in a lot of operational tech. Uh, I worked with a lot of our scanning systems. So I was learning scanners and other types of sensors uh, early on. And then on t- as I started learning more about our operations and our, our IT, a new group was getting formed that was going to start focusing on robotics and automation. And I said, mm-hmm. hey, man, I, I really want to be part of that. And early on in that group, I actually started almost like a consultant to that group to make sure that they were building towards things operations would know because I knew the operational side. Right. And eventually, though, it's like, hey, why don't you just join our group? So right. I, yeah. I actually joined yeah. the group as, as the senior advisor and sort of I kept that role of of looking at FedEx's operations, what could be automated, where could robots be added, mm-hmm. and then working on that with the operations, developing that with my, my team. And we had some great wins we deployed robots uh, across the network and then it just this opportunity with ASTM came along and it's like I I wanted to go ahead and now make the jump to start working on robots that weren't just logistics Mm. okay yeah and 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 I was I always intrigued by all these other robots that were out there be them agriculture welding uh autonomous vehicles now we have space robots and and the list just goes on and on and it's like it's never ending right it's never ending (laughs) and and that's what's so great about this and one of the things i'm really enjoying in my short time with astm so far is all the opportunities that are out there and all the cross connections between some of these technologies that exist that are going to, is going to be really fun to explore with everybody. Yeah. Have you gotten into doing like ASTM's an international company. We work with, with countries all around the world and especially with developing countries. Have you gotten into doing anything with like some of the developing countries and, and maybe advising them how they could use robots and autonomous systems to kind of grow their economy and stuff like that. Has that come up yet or is that something maybe in the future? 
I haven't had that much exposure, especially to developing countries. I would say the closest is is some work I did with uh, India. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a real interesting question that you bring up, Bill, because I think we're starting we're gonna probably start seeing where some of these um, middle or lower income countries are going to be able maybe to actually accelerate their right. economic build out by almost sort of leapfrogging some of those steps that richer countries had to go through. I mean, we we all remember learning about the uh, industrial revolution and how that sprung Europe and North America into it. And everyone always thinks, well, that's the, that's the path everyone needs to follow is you go from agricultural to then an industrial, and then you work your way up to service. And I really think some of these poor countries might be able to leapfrog yeah. a lot of that years of development by just going after robotics and automation right. to really speed up yeah, and there's, whatever they want to do. And there's some there's some definitely some uh, examples and lessons learned where uh, we saw that or, you know, it was relayed to me that where people saw this in Africa around uh, cellular technology. So instead of like mm-hmm. the old U.S. method where we started with, you know, the uh, teletype and the, the, you know, Morse code and then we went to landlines and then we went to cell and all that. They, they jumped all the laying of lines yeah. everywhere and went straight to cell and leapfrog, like you said. And and this may happen in, in an agriculture area because food security is is a big issue all around the world, right? And especially, right. you know, I, I'm sure you're very aware of it because you worked in logistics is, you know, supply chain stuff with what happened over the pandemic and everything like that. So how, how are robots sort of a part of the food chain as we say how are they a part of agriculture how how do they how do they help you know is it is it like you know i grew up working on the farm on the summer is it like giving you like an extra hand on the farm or is it just another tool how, how does it kind of fit in man the i know right small questions here today yes i mean i i definitely think what I'm starting to see in the agricultural robot space mm-hmm. is is we definitely have some buckets starting to form. Mm-hmm. And the two big ones I'm really seeing a lot of promise in is the harvesting type of robots that are okay. actually going out and harvesting something. Right. Okay. Like the LinkedIn video that you showed of them harvesting the carrots, which that was yes. incredible. Right. But- yeah. Bugs Bunny would have been all over that. I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I, I'll I'll definitely come back to that one. But then the other one is the data collection mm-hmm. and being able to collect information for the farmer so he can spot issues, address issues, mm-hmm. and maybe even take further steps. So let's go back to yeah to the harvesting robots. There's some great automation that has existed in ag for a long time, and it's going to get better. Right. The issue is now the specialty crops that require a lot of human interaction. Mm -hmm. So picking apples, uh, harvesting asparagus. uh, These are very labor-intensive kind of things. Tobacco. (laughs) Yeah, tobacco. So you almost need a specialized robot for 
for those things. And I think that's that's the challenge now mm. a lot of companies are facing is can you take a apple picking robot and turn it quickly into a strawberry picking robot? Right. Uh, not yet. Right now. <laughs> right, but right. It's like is- it's like a tractor, right? So right. if you yeah. have a, uh, I'll say one of the popular brands, John Deere tractor. I can use that tractor for all of my applications. It's got a PTO shaft, and I've got implements that work with a PTO shaft, and I can use it from everything from grinding feed to harvesting to plowing to whatever. Can mm-hmm. my robot? It's a one stop shop. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So. There's going to still need to be a lot of work in that because mm. for this to make economic sense, these robots have to be able to do multiple harvests. And right. when you think about apple, everyone says, oh, it's apple picking season. It's tomato picking season. It's yeah. sharp. Okay. You can't make a, a, a solid use case that makes economic sense if your season is one time a year. Right. Yeah. But but I will, I will argue, you know, that also, so I'm going to. It, this is only because I've heard this crazy joke, which is funny because, you know, this farmer was at this uh, restaurant and got to talking to this gentleman and the gentleman was, was bragging about his new car he'd got because, you know, it's sitting outside, nice, shiny Porsche. It's like, oh, yeah, this is my, you know, quarter million dollar Porsche. I drive it just on the weekends, blah, blah, blah. And the farmer's like, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of nice. I have a cotton picker that's about... Three quarters of a million dollars. I drive it once a year, you know, and and, and there are some specialty instruments in, uh, you know, the farm industry where they're very expensive, but they they only get used during harvest season. And so mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, you have to balance this out. It's like, how how can we do that where, you know, there may be some robots and systems that you use all the time. And there may be some that are more specialty like that. And, mm-hmm. and I, where I grew up, uh, people used to share stuff. You know, so Mm -hmm. one farmer might have, you know, the cotton picker or whatever it is, but it's used by everybody in the community. So it made it more affordable. Is that is that something that's kind of being looked at? And I and I and I think, Bill, you hit an excellent point there. Is that exactly what how a lot of these startups are doing that Mm -hmm. is Mm there? They work one field, then they work another field. Uh, Uh, Some are actually moved from continent to continent. Wow. So wow. you do you maybe do the apple season in the United States up in Oregon and Washington, and then you go to Peru for their harvest. Really? And, and the That's robots incredible. just get shipped. Yeah. So, oh so it's going to be very creative things. Now, the creative area I've seen on the data collection side, mm-hmm. which I think is, is really interesting, is w- when you look at data collection – Drones are great right. to fly over your field and all that. But what happens, like, think of a cornfield. Yep. As that corn starts growing, yeah. you're not, yeah. the drone's not going to see the ground anymore. They're not going to see the soil. It's right. Yeah. right. So, so now what we have is we have robots that are running ground level and are shooting up and actually showing what the canopy looks like what the stalks are looking like. Wow. Okay? So they're collecting all that data as they're running through the cornfield, which is sometimes the coolest thing to watch from a distance because you actually see like the corn moving yeah. sometimes. So it like, there's a, like I, a corn shark going yeah the, the corn that's shark crazy. that's awesome and everyone everyone driving past is going oh look there's a deer in the cornfield not yeah. really no. realizing that it's uh, not it's a robot <laughs> uh-huh. but but what some of those companies are doing now with that robot especially because 
by that time in the harvest, it's it's we're almost like a month out from harvest. Right. Okay. When those robots are running through the cornfield to start measuring things. Some of them are actually attaching seed buckets to them and they're starting to shoot out grass. Really? So that grass wow. can start growing in the field. So when they harvest the corn, that the grass, grass then take, takes over. And right. Now you're replenishing your field wow. during the winter right. with that grass cover. So you have like a cover crop and it restores the nitrogen or whatever uh, mineral is trying to restore, really right? really incredible. And see, th that's the even bigger win because before the farmer would have to harvest the corn and, and then, then plant, plant. You're right. the right. And, you, and they wouldn't get a, maybe a good turn mm -hmm. in there. Right. So the robot is actually collecting data and saving them on getting that that second planting in for their cover crop during that's, the winter. That's really cool. So, you know, we're talking about data and, and you know, how much computer hardware power processing speed does a farmer need these days, you know? Well, I think now with Edge and 5G, you don't the farmer is not going to need a freaking server farm. Right. His farm. Right. Right. But the data is, there's so much data. I think that's now the next bottleneck is like, whoa, oh, gosh, now we have all this data. What do we do with it? Right. Right. And how do you read it? So like, that's yeah. the thing, right? Like the actual output put, excuse me. Um, Cause you know, I can, with different, different, different generations, there's different levels of understanding of data and different technology. I mean, I know from my, my mother, anytime she gets a new iPhone, um, she schedules a day with me to come over and show her how to use it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like for data output, is it as simple as, you know, the farmer gets a text from his robot on his, on his iPhone saying, hey, your soil looks great and I planted the seed? <laughs> or, <laughs> or is it more of like a, here's a, your data output Output, but you as the farmer need to make the decision as to is this good data do I need to change something like is the robot actually giving recommendations or does the actual farmer need to read and understand the data to make the changes I think we're on both sides of that fence okay yeah. I okay. really do. I think some some solutions I've seen it is it's just a text. Hey, everything looks good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Move, yeah. move along. Yeah. But then have a good some. Day. <laughs> yeah. It, but some have so much data. I mean, it is. It can be overwhelming. And yeah. It, and then it becomes the whole question of, do you need a, almost another scientist or another engineer on board to help you decipher that? Yeah. And interpret it. Right. And uh, yeah. So, it's going to be interesting as we go forward. Is some of these agricultural robot companies, are you a robot firm, a right. data firm? <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so I'll, I'll ask you a question about that. In the U.S., we have, uh, we just call them extension agents. But they're, they're farm extension agents. They're usually associated with the USDA. And uh, they help farmers out with soil pH and a lot of other technical things going on. Are they a part of this conversation with the robots and the data and stuff yet? Or is that uh, not there yet? I, I think it's being explored now. I'm starting to see a lot more from the USDA. Uh, uh, I know the FDA is definitely involved on other types yeah. of uh, uh, products. Mm -hmm. But it is, I think what it's going to come down to is, is some, like these organizations like Ag Launch and others mm. of, 
bridging what is what is the farmer need, what is the government need, what do other right. analysts might need. Breaking um, it down. Breaking it down. And, and, and so we can actually use the data in, in more creative ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Actually predict what's happening out there. But also making sure that the farmer is taken care of and is is getting the his stuff to market. Okay? Right. Because one thing, when it comes to agriculture, it is make or break. Right. I mean, oh, 100%. One, yeah. one bad season and you could be, that could be it. Under. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so the whole thing is, is I think that's, that's also another concept that we need to help the farmer with is, when you know you are one bad season away from bankruptcy, mm-hmm. you're less likely to take risks. Oh, yeah. So that's some of the challenges some of these companies are going to have is how do you convince a farmer mm. to take a chance on something that really could help him, but he's going to have to probably help put in some work himself right. to make it work. Right. And, uh, and, that, and that is a hard sell sometimes. So yeah, it is, and how I- do we bridge that? Absolutely. And it also comes back to that P word that Bill and I love to talk about, which is perception. And, you know, we've we've heard this a lot from industry across the board of, you know, the different robots that are coming out and, you know, spot being a perfect one working alongside, um, you know, police officers and and individuals saying that perception is is the biggest um you know, sometimes the biggest hurdle, right? Like you're saying, you know, a farmer is used to doing things his way. It's it's make or break, you know, one more bad season and he sees this robot and he's like, that's not, I'm not using that. Um, so I think having the education of not only what they can do and how they can help, but also making it a positive interaction to the perception um, when they have that first interaction. Yeah, and, I, and I'll throw another, you know, a couple of things on, on the pile, which we won't have time to talk about everything today, but, you know, something for the future. So one is the, the possibility and, and probably the reality of not just the, the road, robots and autonomous systems on the ground right there, but also that connection to commercial satellite imagery and what mm-hmm. power that data could bring to the farmer and help them do their jobs much easier. The other one is, and, and farmers are inventors. You know, almost every yeah. farmer is an inventor because they got problems right there in their face and they ain't got time to mess with them. So how can we make robots, autonomous systems and stuff more modular so that the farmers themselves can make what they need right there. That's custom to their issues. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's where going back to what we originally talked about dual use of these robots, mm. yeah. ha- be that different crops or different use cases. Mm-hmm. Can they collect data? Can they spread? Har- can they harvest? Right. And it is going to be, how do we develop those types of robots in the future where they are multi whatever right i mean lack of a better term they sort of have to be multi whatever multi crop multi use multi something mm-hmm. and i think that's that's going to really elevate that but it's going to take a lot of work on everybody's part be that right. government academic right. industry the farmer himself uh but the opportunities are galore and going back to your original point bill as we start looking at some of these poorer countries and what their needs are going to be to feed mm-hmm. their populations, 
we really need to get these out there right. just to keep up with that because it, it we've seen this we know this to be true is is when the united states and europe really took off and became super rich countries is people started leaving the farm but the farm was still producing the food the, feed, exactly. the population exactly. yeah. right <laughs> so for these poorer countries that's still going to probably be their road to prosperity is mm-hmm. getting folks off of having just to farm to feed themselves right to farming to feed a large population so that population could move on to focus on bigger and better economic opportunities right. that exist for them yeah that that's cool well that sounds very positive I, i'm very excited about this thank you for taking the time to talk to us i'm sure we'll do another one of these we've got a lot more stuff to cover here i think so yeah, thank you absolutely. so much thank you yeah thanks aaron and welcome to astm international we're really happy to have you glad to be here <laughs> great all right talk to you soon touch soon thank you for listening to us today Please share this podcast with your friends and join us next time.